God has called us all to become kings and priests. And we're in training, as we know, and we rehearse that every Feast of Tabernacles. But imagine yourself as a young king or queen, and you have counselors to help you make judgments on certain cases that come before your throne and in your court. Uh, Do you have the wisdom to judge such cases? You know the story, you're going to turn to 1 Kings, the third chapter. 1 Kings, the third chapter. You know the story of the two harlots that came before King Solomon's throne. The one, they both had a baby, and the one wicked woman, the baby uh, suffocated and died, and she switched out the dead baby with the, the living baby. And it came before King Solomon to make a decision on it. He, uh, Harry said, so what did he say? First Kings 3 and verse 24, what was his decision? He said, then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought him a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. And so... Would you have made that particular decision? Quite a remarkable one. Interestingly enough, uh, Josephus makes this comment on this particular story. And this is from Josephus, the Antiquities 8.2.2. When the king understood that both their words proceeded from the truth of their passions, he had judged the child to her that cried out to save it. For that she was the real mother of it, and he condemned the other as a wicked woman who had not only killed her own child, but was endeavoring to see her friend's child destroyed also. Now the multitude look on this determination as a great sign and demonstration of the king's sagacity and wisdom. And after that day, attended to him as one that had a divine mind. And so you realize, how did that come about? He understood that when the one woman who was the real mother cried out, Oh, don't, oh, don't do that. Give, give the, give the living child to this other woman. I want to keep the baby alive. He, he understood who was the real mother. How did that come about? Because Solomon asked for wisdom and that prayer is made here earlier in first Kings, the third chapter, starting with verse seven. He asked God for wisdom. Now, O eternal my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out and come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may be discerned between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? And what was God's response? Verse 10, the speech pleased the eternal that Solomon asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to just discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. And I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like arise after you. 
Now, we're not going to have the great wisdom of Solomon, but God still wants all of us to have wisdom. In fact, we, uh, Mr. D. Simone read Dr. Winnell's commentary, Are You Teachable? You know, he, uh, Dr. Winnell wrote, Solomon recognized his human inadequacies when he asked God for wisdom and an understanding heart so he could learn to rule God's people wisely. So we realized the speech pleased the Lord, and I hope that we are all asking for wisdom. As we are training as kings and judges, as we know that we have that wonderful confirmation of our calling in Revelation 5, verse 10. I won't turn there, but he has made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And then we have another confirmation in Revelation 1 and verse 6. And has made us kings and priests to our God and Father. And to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And then we have the description of our calling in First Peter 2 verses 5 and 9. You also as living stones are being built in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. So you have kings and priests. It's a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's our calling, brethren. His own special people, that you may proclaim the praise of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So what will we be doing in tomorrow's world? We'll be serving, ruling, and teaching, and what else? First Corinthians, the sixth chapter, gives us another major responsibility in the coming kingdom. First Corinthians, the sixth chapter. First Corinthians 6, and we'll start here with uh, verse 1. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? So not only will we be kings and priests, we'll be judges. And we need the wisdom of God to make those judgments. Are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? King Solomon asked God for wisdom so that he could rightly rule and serve his people, the house of Israel, the house of Judah. We also need wisdom, godly wisdom, to make judgments and to effectively serve as kings, priests, and judges in the coming kingdom. Every single day, we make many decisions, and I'll show you how many decisions we make later on, and many judgments. So are you and I exercising godly wisdom, or are we submitting to worldly wisdom? Are we growing in godly wisdom, looking forward to the kingdom? Godly wisdom is an essential part of godly character. The sermon title today is Practice Godly Wisdom. And we'll be covering various sections. I'll be covering 
the importance of godly wisdom, benefits of godly wisdom, definitions of godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom, five keys to godly wisdom, how to make wise decisions, and applications of godly wisdom. So we realize that we are called to make judgments and judge the world in the coming kingdom of God. So what is the importance of godly wisdom? How important is it? In Dr. Winnale's commentary, Aria Tichul, he was saying, Solomon wrote that, the, that gaining wisdom is one of the most important goals in life, Proverbs 4-7. And he wrote the book to help us gain wisdom, Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 6. Solomon also reveals that the key to gaining wisdom is developing a proper fear of God and having a sincere desire to follow God's instructions. Proverbs 1, 7, uh, Proverbs 9, 10. Wisdom helps us discern between right and wrong, and it leads to happiness and long life. Proverbs 2, verses 10 and 11, Proverbs 3, verses 13 through 16. And Jesus grew up, as Jesus grew up, he, quote, increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Luke 2, verse 52. Because he obviously followed the advice of Proverbs 2 and verse 1 to seek after wisdom and follow the commandments of God. So just how important is wisdom? Turn to Matthew, the 25th chapter. Matthew 25. Matthew 25. And verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them are wise and five of them were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their lamps, in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Verse 6, And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. And that cry was made. Mr. Armstrong said that he was one making that particular cry, and that cry got my attention when I was starting to hear Mr. Armstrong on the radio back in 1961 and 1962. But the bridegroom was delayed. And at midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bride was coming. Go out to meet him. And we're continuing to preach that warning and that proclamation. Then all those virgins arose, trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Verse 9, But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. How important is wisdom? Only those who are the wise virgins are going to be in the kingdom of God and go to the wedding with Christ. 
Afterward, the other virgins came, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Verse 13, again, the multiple admonitions we get throughout the scriptures. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And, of course, that can happen to any of us, can die suddenly. We've heard the death of Mr. Cooper and be praying for his family. We know that our time can happen any time. Uh, it happens suddenly. But uh, we live each day by faith, uh, knowing that any moment that if God were to take our life, we would want to be in his kingdom. But I know I've got so much to overcome. I've, I need at least, uh, I think, at least four more years to overcome all, <laughs> all I need to overcome. Uh, maybe more. We'll see. But realize... The God has called us to be wise virgins, not foolish virgins. And it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, <clears throat> verse 10, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So how can we have that wisdom that these, all of those who are the wise virgins, that is the church of God that is faithful, that is obedient and humble, we have quite a few admonitions in the book of Proverbs. We have the contrast between those who are fools and those who are wise. So turn to Proverbs, uh, the first chapter, uh, Proverbs 1. And <clears throat> we notice here Proverbs 1, verse 1. The proverb of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young, and knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning. A man of understanding will attain wise counsel to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise in their riddles. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You have the word here, simple, in verse 4, to give to the prudent, simple. So, what is one who is simple? A one who is inclined to evil and has no moral direction. That's uh, one of the definitions of those who are simple. And that certainly describes the day's world culture without moral direction and inclined to evil. I hope you're not simple, uh, but in that particular definition. But that's the way the world's culture is. And notice here in verse 29, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. We'll be talking a little more about the fear of the Lord later on, but they did not choose. It is a choice whether you choose to recognize the awesome power and creativity and eternity of God and of Christ. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. What are some of the definitions of wisdom? One is by Norman Cousins. Wisdom consists of the anticipation of consequences. Yes, you reap what you sow, we find in Galatians 6. 
The New King James Version gives this description of the book of Proverbs. The key word in Proverbs is wisdom. And it defines wisdom as, quote, the ability to live life skillfully, end of quote. A godly life in an ungodly world, however, is no simple assignment. Proverbs provides God's detailed instructions for his people to deal successfully with the practical affairs of everyday life, how to relate to God, parents, children, neighbors, and government. The Proverbs form the common sense and divine perspective necessary to handle life's issues. And the way the world is upside down, it's a mad, mad world, and we need godly wisdom in facing the challenges of today's world. Mr. Weston wrote in the Tomorrow's World magazine, and this is uh, the July issue of Tomorrow's World magazine. Uh, We received it on July 3rd, so uh, we appreciate the diligence of the editorial department and those who are contributing to the magazine uh, so that it actually arrived in our home on July 3rd for the uh, July magazine. And in that magazine is Mr. Weston's article, The Foolish Generation. I hope you've read it. If you haven't read it so far, read Mr. Weston's article, The Foolish Generation. He says in that article, quote, Will ours be viewed as the greatest generation? Or will we be viewed as the foolish generation? Maybe even the dumbest generation. I suggest another name based on Bible prophecy. The generation that nearly destroyed all life. Matthew 24, verses 21 and 22. But we can be glad to knowing that the story does not end there. In fact, after the generation of our present age, we will see the beginning of a new world of generations in whom God is spirit dwells. We will see the beginning of a new world of generations in whom God's spirit dwells. Ezekiel 11 verse 19 and 20. Only then will the prophecy of Isaiah 2 verses 3 and 4 come to pass. So let's take a look at the contrast between uh, fools and wise here in the uh, do a, a survey here in the, in the book of Proverbs. Let's start off with uh, Proverbs 9 and verse 6. I have a chain in my Bible, and, and you know a chain is just you put the previous reference, the following reference, so we can just turn from one scripture to the next. Let's we'll start off here with uh, Proverbs 9 and uh, verse 6. Proverbs 9 and verse 6. Forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. Then uh, chapter 10 and verse 1. A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. So you children are going to have your a Bible class after Sabbath services today. Uh, you want to be a wise son, or you want to be a wise daughter. A wise son makes a glad father, and a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Proverbs 10, verse 1, verse 14. 
Wise people store up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is dear destruction. Verse 21, the lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of wisdom. Yes, here you have the wise virgins who are, had their oils, their lamps filled with oil, and the foolish virgins who lacked oil in their lamps, which is quite a commentary and something that should take very vital notice of all of us to make sure that we have oil in our lamps. There's also some recognition of, of folly. Proverbs 14 and verse 18. You have not only fools, but you have folly. Proverbs 14 and verse 18. The simple inherit folly. Again, simple are those who have lack moral courage, moral direction, and are inclined to evil. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. We have in our June, May-June Living Church News, an article by Mr. John Robinson, Sheer Folly, Lessons from David, Nabal, and Abigail. And it's, you know the story of how Nabal refused to provide provisions for David and his army who had protected him from all kinds of problems. And so David was about to uh, get his uh, army and, and destroy all the men in Nabal's family. And uh, you can read that in the Living Church News, John Robinson's article, Sheer Folly, Lessons from David, Nabal, and Abigail. And you know what Abigail did. She was wise. She got the provisions and intercepted David on his way. He was going to kill all the men in Nabal's household. And Abigail met, her with, met him with all the precisions. 1 Samuel 1, I won't turn there, but first, uh, Samuel 25, 25. What did Abigail say to David? Please. Let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. We just read here in in Proverbs about folly, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men whom my Lord, whom you sent. So Mr. Robinson writes on page 11 about Abigail's wisdom. Abigail's wisdom, insight, and recognition of God's long-term plans not only saved Nabal, at least temporarily, and her household, but also prevented David from taking vengeance into his own hand, which, as he acknowledged, he would have regretted. So you have this folly and uh, just a remarkable example of Abigail's wisdom who helped her house, saved her household, and also prevented David from his wiping out all the men in Nabal's family and household. Let's continue in our survey here in uh, Proverbs. We looked at a couple of scriptures on folly. Uh, Proverbs 14 and uh, verse 24. Proverbs 14 and verse 24. The crown of the wise is their riches, but the foolishness of fools is folly. 
Proverbs 15 and verse 7. Proverbs 15 and verse 7. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fool does not do so. Proverbs 17, verse 25. We're just doing a little survey of the contrast between foolishness and wisdom. Proverbs 17 and verse 25. A foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. Chapter 21 and verse 20. Chapter 21 and verse 20. There is desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. So we've seen the value of wisdom contrasted with foolishness and folly. We are going to need wisdom in God's kingdom. And the foolish virgins are not going to be there. But godly wisdom produces plenty of wonderful benefits. And we'll take a look at some of those benefits of wisdom here next. So let's turn to Proverbs, uh, the 8th chapter. Proverbs 8 and As a part of your action steps in this sermon, uh, you're assigned to read chapter 8 of Proverbs uh, sometime this week. Uh, Read it very slowly. Uh, We have some, uh, one of our church members here, and we have probably several, but we have some that are dedicated to reading one chapter of Proverbs every day. You know, one uh, of our colleagues does that. Uh, today is the 15th, so I'm sure he or she will be reading Proverbs 15. We have an old-time friend. Uh, him, I, he's still uh, still alive after all these decades, but for 50 or 60 years, he says he's been reading one chapter of Proverbs every day. Uh, and that's uh, quite a record. Of course, it has to translate into uh, actions with wise and uh, discretionary uh, wisdom. So here we have Proverbs, the eighth chapter. It's personified as a person. Wisdom is saying this is I am a person, kind of uh, personification. Does not wisdom cry out and understand, lift up her voice? She takes her stand at the top of the high hill, beside the way where the paths she meets. Verse 4, to you, O men, I call, and my voice is to some of you men. Oh, you simple ones, yes, you without moral direction and tended toward evil. Oh, you simple ones, or even naive people, you simple ones understand prudence, and you fools be of an understanding heart. And it goes on, for my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness, verse 8. Nothing crooked or perverse is them. They are all plain to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction and not silver. Knowledge rather than gold. For wisdom is better than rubies. I like rubies. Wisdom is better than rubies. And all the things one may desire cannot be compared to her. And then, of course, Verse 13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way do I hate. So we see the value 
of wisdom and the and the and the benefits of wisdom as well that we have understanding and we're also going to have peace of mind and happiness so wisdom is better than rubies better than gold and verse 35 Proverbs 8 and verse 35. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. All those who hate me love death. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Those are the benefits of wisdom. You know, it was uh, says in Genesis 6, 8, that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And here we sign to obtain favor from the Lord. Uh, grace is one definition. One aspect is favor of the Lord. So you have the grace of God. You have God's favor. And you want God's grace. Of course, we had uh, sermons on the uh, matter of God's throne of grace. Hope you've heard that sermon or you can access it as well. Notice chapter 3 and verse 13 of Proverbs. One other benefit of wisdom. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Proverbs 3.13. Happy is the man. Yes, God gives happiness and joy to those who love God and who have the fear of God. We're also, chapter 3, verse 35. Another benefit of wisdom. The wise shall inherit glory. We inherit the earth, we inherit the universe, we inherit eternal life. But he also inherit glory. But shame shall be in the legacy of fools. And of course it tells us in one of my favorite verses in Colossians, the third chapter in verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall we also appear with him in glory, as the wise shall inherit glory. We've talked briefly about the benefits of wisdom. Let's talk about what are some of the definitions of wisdom. We've already described some perspective of it, but the New King James the intro, as I read before, Proverbs provides God's detailed instruction for his people to deal successfully with the practical affairs of everyday life. How to relate to God, parents, children, neighbors, and government. There are the common definitions of wisdom as well. Wisdom is, and these are common definitions, wisdom is common sense to an uncommon degree. Wisdom is knowing when to speak your mind and when to mind your speech. Another common definition is wisdom is the ability to use knowledge so as to meet successfully the emergencies of life. And then there's a wise husband. is defined as one who buys his wife such fine china she won't trust him to wash the dishes. And then there's a wise man, one who can profit even from a fool's experience. 
A wise man is also one who is smarter than he thinks he is. A wise man is one who thinks all he says. A fool who a fool is one who says all he thinks. Uh, Benjamin Franklin made this comment about wisdom. The doorstep to the temple of wisdom is knowledge of your own ignorance. And of course we use that process every Passover time when we examine ourselves according to 2 Corinthians 13.5 to examine ourselves whether we be in the faith. So Benjamin Franklin said the doorstep to wisdom is the, the knowledge of your own ignorance. So true, true wisdom is the, the ability to use knowledge with an understanding of the overall goals. But let's take a look now at the biblical definition of wisdom, godly wisdom. And where do we find that? Well, of course, Proverbs 8, which you're assigned to read and think and meditate on later on, but also James, the third chapter. You're also assigned to read carefully James 3, along with Proverbs 8, sometime this week. James, the third chapter. We'll start here with uh, <clears throat> verse 13. James 3, verse 13. Who is wise in understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct. In the King, King James, it's conversation. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if, if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and against the truth and he against the truth and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, sensual, and demonic. And how much is that pervasive throughout the whole world? For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Verse 17. And this is a definition of godly wisdom. And the title of the sermon is Practice Godly Wisdom. James 3.17. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's a memorization verse, so if you haven't memorized it, I think you will want to do that. But the worldly wisdom leads to death. And so we find that, of course, in in chapter chapter 4 and uh, but he tells us that we need to draw near to God and he will draw near to us in chapter 4 and verse 8 and ver verse 10 of chapter 4 humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up so we realize that yes the wisdom from above is first pure peaceable gentle ease to be in and willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the wisdom of the world is demonstrated by 1 John 2.15. We won't turn there, but love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is not of God. That's in 1 John 2.15. We've had sermons on that topic. 
So we see worldly wisdom contrasted to godly wisdom. In 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, continues that major contrast. And it's something, brethren, we know need to understand because many of our brethren in the church of God over the years have followed worldly wisdom and deceptions and have abandoned godly wisdom. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And again, we have emphasized before that salvation is past, present, and future. That God has saved us from our the death penalty from all our past sins. And we are being saved, as it says here in verse 18 present progressive tense. So it's past, present, and future. Of course, Romans 5.10. If, if when we were enemies, we're rec- reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Future tense. But continuing in the commentary on wisdom, verse 19, 1 Corinthians 1, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? When is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And that's what we're seeing. All of the woke culture and all of the deceptions, religious deceptions around us is the wisdom of this world. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. So we've had that admonition time and time again from Mr. Weston and others to seek the mind of God and to think the thoughts of God. Because the foolishness, verse 25, the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many are called. But God is going to give us the blessing of godly wisdom as we seek it and seek first his kingdom and righteousness as we heard in the sermonette. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. 1 Corinthians 3. Let no one deceive himself. If any of us seems to be wise in this age, <clears throat> let him become a, a foolish, a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So we again see the contrast between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom. So next we talk about the gain of godly wisdom. How do you grow in godly wisdom? Let's turn to James, the first chapter. James, the first chapter. 
Now, God has called all of us to be wise men, women, and children. James 1. And starting with verse uh, 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And of course, as we heard in the sermonette, to put our hand to the plow and keep that focus on the goal that's ahead of us. If any of you lacks wisdom, verse 5, let him ask of God. So where do we get wisdom? It comes from God as a gift. The world has its worldly wisdom, or actually demonic wisdom, it tells us. And we'll see later in James, the third chapter. But let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally, without reproach, and it will be given to him. What an awesome promise that God gives us. Here the world is foolish, and yet God calls the foolish of the world to give us godly wisdom, and we just need to ask for it. But verse 6, but let him ask in faith, with no doubting, and he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and crossed, tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in his ways. <clears throat> That ties in with the sermonette, of course, of, of being focused and keeping that plow going in the right direction. So we need to ask God <clears throat> for it. We have the uh, way of obtaining God was godly wisdom by asking God for godly wisdom. And we also gain godly wisdom by meditating His on His laws, as tells us in Psalm 119, verse 97, Oh, how love I thy law. And we sing that uh, hymn in page 136, How I Love Your Law. And, of course, in Psalm 1, it tells those who meditate on God's law day and night will will prosper, and uh, those who do not will perish. How else can we gain in godly knowledge? <clears throat> well, we know in Proverbs one in verse nine that the uh, we are the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's Proverbs one verse seven. Then Proverbs nine and verse ten, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we know we can gain wisdom by choosing the fear of the Lord. Remember that the foolish did not choose the fear of the Lord. Proverbs one and verse twenty nine. But we can choose the fear of the Lord. And we actually have a, a hymn that we sing, Wisdom Begins with the Fear of the Lord. That's uh, page 74. And, of course, Proverbs 9 and verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We also gain wisdom not only by choosing the fear of the Lord, but also by associating with men and women of wisdom. And we've had uh, several... Uh, scriptures we read uh, earlier that uh, remember even uh, Ms. Dr. Winnell's comment about Jesus uh, associating with wise persons and how he grew in grace and favor in the favor of men and God. I had a great great niece that visited our home one time. She was six and a half years old. 
And she displayed maturity beyond her years. She was courteous. She was polite. She was respectful. She accepted compliments gratefully. She would say, thank you, after a compliment given to her. I told her that she was mature beyond her age. And when the Southern culture, of course, we have that courtesy and respect. We say, yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. And, of course, even in French, we have, uh, s'il vous plaît, uh, if you please. I found that that was, uh, worked very well in, in France. So if you're an English-speaking person, you go to France, or you want to say, s'il vous plaît, you, you express courtesy and respect. But you need to seek counsel, wise counsel. How can you gain godly wisdom? Associating with wise men and women. And then, of course, seeking wise counsel. I'll just read these to you. You don't need to turn to them. But the three scriptures on seeking wise counsel. Proverbs 11, verse 14. Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. That's Proverbs 11, 14. Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. So if you're facing a enigmatic problem, uh, some, sometimes in one that seems to have no solution, uh, seek wisdom from a multitude of counsels. Proverbs 24, 6. For by wise counsel, you shall make your war, and in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. So how do you obtain godly wisdom? You ask God boldly for his wisdom. You meditate on God's law and ask, how does it apply to me? You choose to fear God and realize that, yes, godly fear is a tremendous blessing. And you associate with wise men and women and choose your friends carefully. And you also seek wise counsel. Over the years and decades in the Church of God, we have articles on how to make wise decisions. So we'll talk briefly about that later. How many decisions do you make a day? And how many of them are wise? And how many of them are foolish? Uh, sometimes we just act like uh, automatons because we're just uh, making routine decisions that we've made uh, dozens of times before. But this is a study was done by PBS North Carolina on thousands of decisions, choices we make each day. Uh, the report is as follows, quote, researchers at Cornell University estimate that we make 226.7 decisions each day on food alone. <laughs> you didn't know that you made 226.7 decisions on food alone every day. And as your level of responsibility increases, so does the multitude of choices you have to make. It's estimated that the average adult makes about 35,000 remotely conscious decisions each day. Each decision, of course, carries certain consequences with it that are both good and bad. Yes, so we need again to make sure that we realize, I don't realize that I'm making 35,000 decisions, uh, but some of them just are, seem to automatic. We're, we're on autopilot for, I think, uh, much of our decision-making. 
As I mentioned, over the decades, the church of God, and even with worldwide, have seven keys to making wise decisions. And I'll just briefly mention them. Um, key number one is to share your problem, question, and challenge with God. Ask for his gu- guidelines, as we have no Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. So number one in making wise decisions, share your problems, questions with God. And as I brought out on some of my telecasts, pray about everything that worries you and concerns you. Number two, get examples from the Bible of making wise decisions. We saw the matter of Solomon uh, situation and Abigail, as well as making wise decisions and uh, Mr. Wesson has talked about Mr. Armstrong's autobiography and how it has helped him in making decisions, and so with me as well. Number three, get the facts. We have a spokesman club uh, speech number five that has always helped me over the years. When you're facing a controversy or a problem or a trial, get the facts. You know, use the fifth law of success, resourcefulness. What are the options? What are the alternatives? What are the resources that I can use to solve this problem that I'm facing? Number three, get the facts. Number four, seek wise counsel. We've discussed about that. We have a council of elders that Mr. Weston relies on for wise counsel. Number five, make a definition, definite decision. So maybe it's time for a decision, maybe not. You make a definite decision. Number six, trust God to guide the decision. And number seven, diligently do your part to complete the process. Uh, those are the seven steps that have been tradition uh, throughout the decades of the Church of God in making wise decisions. You've heard of the prayer of serenity, and that uh, was attributed to Reinhold Niebuhr. And the prayer of serenity is as follows. God, give us grace to accept the serenity, the things that cannot be changed. God, give us grace to accept with serenity the things that cannot be changed, courage to change the things which should be changed, and the wisdom to distinguish the one from the other. Now, there's a caveat to that, and that is the things that cannot be changed. Maybe they cannot, maybe they can. Maybe they should be changed, maybe they should not. And of course, in Matthew 9, verses 25 and 6, when the disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Verse 26, But Jesus looked on them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So there's a caveat to the prayer of serenity that says the things that cannot be changed. Maybe they should be changed, maybe they can be changed, and maybe God can change them with his miraculous intervention according to the promise of Ephesians 3.20, which I still claim, I think, almost every day, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think or imagine. And I've seen some tremendous miracles in my life, even here more recently, on claiming that promise. So, we, yes, there are some things that we cannot change, but we accept serenity for things that should not be changed. But we need to ask, is this a good time 
for claiming God's promise to apply what seems to be impossible and it might be good for all of us. So we've talked about keys to wise decision making. But what are some of the other applications for godly wisdom? And God's word has a lot to say about that. Do you use wisdom in your speech? And of course, you can go online and ask, how many words do women speak and men speak? It's supposedly, uh, that was a long time ago, that women speak three times the w- words that men speak. But uh, more factual research seems that they're fairly close together, that women only have a, a, a few percentage points in the, the more words they speak a day than men speak. So how do you use wisdom in your speech? Of course, turn to uh, James, the third chapter, James 3, and here's a whole section on speaking with wisdom. James 1, James 3 and verse 1. James 3, verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man or woman, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Verse 5, James 3. Even then the tongue is a little member, and boasts great things. So how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The sun so said among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on the fire of Gehenna. Well, we have quite a big responsibility in the use of our language and our communications. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Verse 8, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not to be so. And so he tells us in verse 13, Who is a wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his, his works are done in meekness of wisdom. We read that a little earlier. So we need to control our language and be very considerate of what we're saying. I won't turn there, but it tells us in Proverbs 17 and verse 28, even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. (laughs) So there's a time to speak and of course a time not to speak. Ecclesiastes 3, 7 says there's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. So we need the wisdom of knowing that. They're talking about uh, 
uh, fools that when they keep their tongue consider wise. There was an old movie. Some of you old timers may have seen that a movie, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty by Danny Kay. He was a common person, but somehow he becomes a king. And he's bringing all, all these cases of judgment before him. And the only response he gives is he holds his hands together and shakes his head, gives no answer. So I guess he's perceived a man of perspective. Even a fool, when he holds his mouth, his tongue, is perceived a person with perspective. It tells us also in Psalm 141 and verse 3, and I, I pray this very often. Psalm 141, verse 3, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Here's a guard at your mouth. You know, it's like, oh, watch out what you say or what you're not saying. And I often pray, Father, please help me what to say and what not to say. Uh, So we need to set a guard at our mouth. There is a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Turn to Ephesians, the fourth chapter again. We have God's guidance on uh, speaking here. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. He tells us to speak the truth in love. I love that expression. Ephesians 4, verse 14. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Verse 15, and here I have underlined and pray about it often, but speaking the truth in love. That's the way of godly wisdom. We practice godly wisdom by speaking the truth in love. May grow up into him in all things, who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every joint supplied according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying itself in love. Yes, we need to speak the truth in love. So God's way is a way of wisdom, the way of speaking the truth in love and and making sure that we are edifying one another in our speech. So God gives us his wisdom. We ask for it in faith, and then we act on the principles of the wisdom he's given us. So will you use the gift of speech with godly wisdom? Will you seek God's kingdom above all else and seek to have his character with the very mind of Christ? As Mr. Weston said in his current Living Church News article on page 7, let us seek his mind, his way of thinking, and always see the big picture. So just how important is godly wisdom? Godly wisdom teaches us our ultimate salvation through Christ. 2 Timothy 3, uh, verse 15. Turn to 2 Timothy 3. Uh, Dr. Douglas Vidal referred to the scripture in his commentary. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15. 2 Timothy 3.15, and that from childhood, talking to Timothy, 
You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the God of man may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work, which are able to make you wise for salvation. Wisdom is very inherently connected with our, our way of life and our seeking the kingdom of God first. Turn to Colossians, the third chapter. Colossians 3. Yes, the wise virgins will be in the kingdom of God and marry Jesus Christ and be out of the at the throne of God in the sea of glass for the wedding. Colossians, the third chapter, verse 12. Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing one another and forgiving one another, If anyone has complained against another, even as Christ forgave you, also you must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of peace. And of course, God is love, and he wants us to have that loving character. Verse 15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. Verse 16, you know, may underline this verse. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. The word of Christ. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. So, We need to do all these things, it says, in in all wisdom to God and Christ. As we've seen in today's sermon, that the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to be, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Brethren, we need to practice godly wisdom in the use of our time, in our speech, in our communication, conversation, in our relationships with family, friends, and worldly neighbors and businesses. We look forward to the return of Christ. He will marry the wise virgins. There are faithful and heartfelt Christians. So I again encourage you to read Proverbs the 8th chapter and James the 3rd chapter and meditate on it this coming week as you seek the wisdom of God and practice the wisdom of God. So we need to practice the wisdom that is from above and the world needs men, women, and children of godly wisdom and common sense. The world needs Christians who seek the wisdom that is from above. 
So, brethren, may you and I live the way of godly wisdom today, tomorrow, and forever. Let's practice godly wisdom.